So Paul was an apostle who traveled around the Mediterranean and he went to cities. And one of the cities he went to was Corinth. And Corinth was a new and exciting city. It was growing. It was becoming quite rich. There was a lot of new possibility and new opportunities that were opening up for people in Corinth. There may be some of the up-and-coming tradespeople. They had new inventions that they could begin to use on, draw on, like uh, um, how they communicate, how they travel. It was an exciting place to be. And Paul uh, speaks to them about the possible and the beneficial. The possible and the beneficial. He says to be the church is to recognize that many things are possible, but to give yourself to the things that are beneficial. And we're going to look at that today. So there's a guy called Jonathan Haidt, uh, who's written a book called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided Over Religion and Politics. Anybody heard of this guy, read this book? Uh, It's a very influential book. Uh, He wrote it a few years ago, and what he basically said was that in the West, we're quite a weird culture. Uh, America, UK, uh, it's quite a weird culture. And if you're somebody who's grown up in another part of the world, as quite a number of people in our church have done, and they come in, you come in to look at Western culture, you think, this is different. This is really quite different. And he says that there's five things that define Western culture. First of all, it's white. It's grown up in a history of philosophies and ideas that were written by white people mainly white men. He says he's educated. Western culture is just really believes in education. We think that one of the best things you can get is an education. And that means if you use your brain enough and you think enough and you're smart enough, you will find solutions to problems. He says that uh, Western culture is industrialized, by which we say we're used to using something to get more than if we just did something ourselves. So a great example would be a horse. It used to be that you used to have a power of a horse was a horse, and that would plough the fields. And we found industrialization process enabled us to actually add horsepower to our ploughing of the fields, which sped it up. And anything like uh, the printing press improved our process of communication, the internet. What he's saying is basically we believe now that there should be a process, there should be an app to solve every problem. If we work hard enough, we use our brains, we use our industrialization, we can, we can sort the whole world out. And most of the jobs that are going at the moment in tech basically say, look, if we're smart enough and if we work hard enough and we use tech well enough, we're going to totally change the whole world. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. Rich, not only are the people who've come up with this stuff know that there's processes, use their brains, but they also have the money at their disposal to actually change things. They're generally, most of the philosophies and ideas are created by people who've grown up rich. And finally, democratic. We love the idea that you should be able to choose your life. The, almost the worst thing that could be is you get no choice in what your life circumstances are. And he says that really what this, all this comes together is that more options and more choice is always seen as being a good thing for you. The worst thing would be to have options and choice taken away from you. More options, more choice. And he describes this as an elephant and a rider. And what he says to you is, if you've grown up in this Western culture, you're like riding, you're like a rider on an elephant. And the elephant is this whole understanding of what is good, how to make decisions, what you should do with your life. And the elephant is obviously very strong. And if you're sat on it, often it will take you wherever it wants to go. 
And she says, what you do is you end up as people growing up in this culture and you think, I should always be able to find a process. I should always, if I'm smart enough, I should be able to solve this problem. I should always have choice. And he says, occasionally, as a rider, you get to actually steer the elephant and say, no, 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 I want to go this way. But most people, most of the time, the elephant steers you in what you do with your life. He's not a Christian, this guy. Just fascinating insight into how he sees the world. Now, weird thinking, the Industrial Revolution, and then sort of the tech boom and all this kind of stuff, has seen a massive growth in what is possible. It has seen a massive growth in what's possible. If you th- have you ever thought about what was possible for your, one of your grandparents compared to you? So uh, in the first service, I t- told you about one of my grandparents. And I'll tell you about another one. My, my grandparent grew up in, far- in, in farming area of the Yorkshire Dales. He's, he grew up on a farm, and his job was very similar to his dad's job. He became a fertilizer salesman. He just dr- cycled around to local farms and sold them fertilizer. And that was his job. And then the war came. And when he was in the war, he was commissioned. He was sent in the Navy. And he, he was on boats around Australia. And he said, you know, every night he'd go to sleep thinking, would he wake up? Or would he, would he wake up kind of drowning in water because the boat had been so much horrible? But so little choice in his life. He had very limited possibility in his life. He returned, trying to process all the stuff he'd gone through in the war. Fertilizer salesman. Did that for most of his life. Now, when I think about me or you, the possibility that the weird culture is given to your eyes is so much greater. So without moving right now, almost certainly, you could go onto your phone and you could apply for a loan for thousands of pounds. You'd probably be approved that in five to ten minutes. With that money, you could then go onto any one of online website, travel agents, and you could book yourself a flight to any part of the world. When you arrive at that part of the world, almost certainly you could go into an estate agency thing and find, or some kind of uh, Airbnb, find a place to stay in that location. As you're flying and as you're doing that, you could also scroll through LinkedIn or Indeed and find a new job that you could apply to do. And you could then go onto another app and find a new relationship partner that you could find. So without moving, you could change pretty much everything about your life in the next half hour. So the possibility to you is immense. Do you recognize this? You kind of, any moment you think, I, I could actually change everything. I could change everything any minute. Now that could be wonderful. But it also presents challenges. And one of the main challenges, what does Jesus say about this? Like what would Jesus say into our culture? Well, Paul spoke, as I said, into a city that had all kinds of new possibility opening up to it. And this is what he said to them. And I think, I think Jesus is saying a similar thing to us right now. And it's summed up like this. Make the long-term beneficial things your first things. Make the long-term beneficial things your first things. He says this, we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We'll each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Just skipping a bit out. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. It's always worth listening to these bits where he's like, God himself is making this appeal to you. God is saying this to you. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so we could be made right with God through Christ. And so if we look at this, the beneficial thing, what Paul is saying, actually in Jesus a new possibility was opened up to you. You could actually now have life with God. Like Jesus shifted something in history. that Now you can actually walk with God in a deeper and fuller way than anybody ever could. And what he's saying to you is, please church, please, please, any follower of Jesus, anybody who's interested in life, do life with God. He says, I plead with you, come back to God. Come back to God. And there's two aspects to this. First of all, Paul is speaking to a Corinthian who's maybe never heard of Jesus. And maybe you're here and you've never really truly understood the message of Jesus to you, which is that he says, I want to bring you into a relationship with the creator who's loving and good and wise, who wants you. And would you, in a moment of repentance and faith, say yes to him? It's almost like saying, I look at my life and I realize this elephant that I've been riding has taken me into all kinds of places. And I don't know that I'm happy with many of these things that I've ended up doing. I've treated people badly. I myself, I've just look, I feel like I'm overwhelmed with these things. And I recognize I want to stop living that way. Uh, repentance and faith in you, Jesus, that you enable me to come to God. But it's got a second aspect to it. The second aspect is this, is that what Paul is saying is not just a prayer of a moment, but an invitation to a, a lifetime of friendship with God. Moment by moment, you know him present in your life. And Paul is saying, please, do life with God. And the second thing he's saying is this, do you know what? We have a responsibility. Anybody who knows God, he says, we've been commissioned to help others know God. Like This all is formed by his understanding that Jesus was the image of God. He died on the cross and he rose again. And this resurrection was Jesus being acknowledged by God himself as the king of all heaven and all earth. He's like, this king will return and give reward to all who do things for him. So your greatest benefit now is to do anything that pleases Jesus. When he returns as king, he'll reward you for all the things you do that please him. So help others know God, because that really pleases Jesus. Now, how do we actually practically do this? Because it's one thing to say and another thing to do it. Let me just pull out the first challenge that we have is you need to retrain your elephant. You need to retrain your elephant. This is a book called The Paradox of Choice. This guy, Barry Schwartz, uh, actually isn't a Christian, but he's saying something very close to what Paul would be saying. Uh, he's called Why Less is More. He says this, learning to choose is hard. Learning to choose well is harder. And learning to choose well in a world of unlimited possibilities is harder still perhaps too hard. What he's saying is that it's, life's harder for you than it was for your grandparent. It's actually harder. 
Because there's so many more possibilities. You're trying to weigh them all up and work out what's the best possibility. And he says the existence of multiple alternatives makes it easy for us to imagine alternatives that don't exist. Alternatives that combine the attractive features of the ones that do exist. And to the extent that we engage our imaginations in this way, we will be even less satisfied with the alternative we end up choosing. So once again, a greater variety of choices actually makes us feel worse. This is what Andy Brims a few weeks ago called the restaurant menu problem. You order a meal at the restaurant and you get it and you think to yourself, I wish I'd got what they got. It's, it's that problem you have with choice. It's also the reality that is the Audi and the Tesco problem. About seven or eight years ago, Audi supermarket arrived. Now, Tesco's, you may or may not know, had 120 different varieties of to tomato ketchup. If you wanted to get tomato ketchup from Tesco's, different sizes, different flavors, different versions, 120 choices. Audi had one. Now, people began increasingly to be like, do you know what? I want to go to the place where I don't have to like, weigh up and calculate of all these 120 options, which one I'm going to choose. And they, they scientifically researched and they found out that people were far less likely to actually buy a tomato ketchup from Tesco's because they just couldn't decide, so they choose nothing. They go to Audi, they pick the one off the shelf. What's this telling us? Increasingly, you're seeing this in, across all of cultures. People reflect on society as Christians, people who listen to the Lord have this kind of stuff in the word. We want to be at the forefront of this. Reduce your options. How are you to ensure that your hardest work is going on the things that give you most benefit? That's what Paul is basically saying. Do you have a strategy in your life which is an Audi strategy? Do you have a strategy to make sure that you don't spend your whole time scrolling through all the options, exhausting yourself with all the possibilities of what you could do and who you could be? Are you, have you got a strategy to stop getting lost in that stuff that you simply say, I know what is right, I know what is best, I will give myself to these things. If you don't have an intentional way of doing that, your elephant will take you into other places. The life of a disciple, Paul says, is to hear the plead of Jesus. Give your hardest work to the best things. Give your hardest work, your most effort, your greatest genius to the most beneficial things. How do you do that? How are you doing that? Let me ask you that question. How are you making sure that you're giving your best to the things that matter most? Well, the beauty is we don't answer this question in isolation. The whole of the history of the Church of Jesus has been trying to answer these questions. And here's some things that they've said. Make rhythms and routines to ensure you do the most beneficial stuff. A rhythm and a routine is hugely helpful to you. You say, this is valuable, I will do it no matter what. I'm going to do this thing no matter what, because this is valuable. So doing life with God, we know to do life with God is just the greatest thing. It's the most wonderful thing. And so you build a rhythm and routine. And the church has always said we gather at least weekly. To be honest, it's, it's really unusual historically to just say once a week you gather as church. But now many, many Christians, and maybe this is some of you, are like, well, I might go once every three or 
five weeks, or if there's nothing else on, I might go. And the reality is rhythms and routines enable you to give your best to the things that matter most. And Jesus, yes, by his spirit, lives in your heart. But what he also says, and what we see over and over again in the New Testament, he says, when two or three are gathered, there I am with you. There's something about the presence of the Lord which is more accessible when we gather as church than it is on your own. That, that is just the reality of the teaching of the New Testament. So do you have a rhythm to ensure that you gather as church every week? Again, quoting Andy Brims, a few, I remember a few weeks ago, he says, one of the biggest discipleship dis- points you'll ever reach, one of the greatest points in your discipleship is not when you stop asking, shall we go to church this week? When you're just like, I will go to church. It's not even a question anymore. I tell you, I, I'm pleading with you this, for this because this, I know I've seen this. I've had friends and they don't go for a while and just life becomes, you know, you just, it's hard, so hard to walk with God. If you haven't got a rhythm and a routine of that, use all kinds of prayer. Do you have a rhythm and a routine for prayer in your life? Do you know, honestly and truly, I've at times when I felt like the presence of God is so close to me, it's like his breath is on my face. But in the last three or four weeks, I've felt nothing in prayer. Honestly, I've just sat there and I've been like, what is this? I feel nothing. And in those moments, we rely on the rhythms and the routines that we know this brings me to a place that I know is good. I know this is good. And so you sit and you're just like, okay, God, I, I, don't, I feel like I'm just talking to my bowl of cereal. I don't know what's going on here, but I know this is good. I'm going to trust this is good. Have you had those moments? And it's the rhythms and the routines that help you, that feed you, that keep you in the right place there. And you use all kinds of prayers. Because there's times you're like, I, I, you know, I love to just go for a walk and I see the creation. I think, wow, my heart sings. And there's other times you have to be like, I have to write something down. And there's other times you're like, I need to read through a psalm. And there's other times you just need to listen to worship music and sing worship music. And there's other times you just need to be on your knees in silence, like head on the floor, like, I'm, you know, forgive me, Lord. And there's other times you just sit and you receive. Like, there's all kinds of prayer. You sit and pray in tongues and then you gather with others. There's all kinds of prayer. And a sensible person will grab hold of different kinds of prayer and you'll use them at different times. But your routine means that you always do it. And, you know, again, those people who do best in life tend to be those who have a routine of praying each day. And do manageable Bible reading. You know, again, I remember just... I say this... This is just basic stuff, isn't it? But when I first... When we used to have such things as hard copy Bibles. I remember a guy who just early days, he just said to me, look, anybody whose Bible's falling apart, their life won't be falling apart. Like, just open it. Just read it. Just, like, if you want to do well with the Lord, if you want to walk life with God, read your Bible. And it needs to be manageable for you. There's no point saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Like, that's about seven chapters a day. If that's not manageable for you, don't say that. Don't put that on yourself. But if you can do that, do that. That's wonderful. It's, it's getting into the book in a way that actually genuinely is manageable for you in your schedule with your various different things going on. And helping others know God. You know, we did the Bake Off today and we just really want to tell you that hospitality 
is just a beautiful practice of the kingdom. Because what hospitality does is it brings you into relationship with others. In, in Jesus' language, it's like you're using the money of this earth to gain yourself friends. You open the door. You say, let me buy you something. Let me give you something. Let me welcome you into my home. And we know people who every Friday night, they'll say, every Friday we're going to invite people over for food. And that's just that's a schedule. That's a rhythm. Like every Friday night. And they just invite people in. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, I can't do that. That's fine. You don't have to do that. I'm just giving you an example of a rhythm and a routine that actually builds hospitality into your life. Because when you have that point in a moment around a meal or when you're sat together and talking and you've listened well, you can then intentionally speak words of grace and gospel and life. These things are just... In a way, it's the simplest stuff, but because of the level of possibility, because of our culture that always says you need to find what's possible, weigh up every option, keep your options open, don't commit to stuff, don't be hold to things that are inefficient. Like Because of this huge thing all the time, like you should be able to progress, you should be able to move on. Because of this, some of these simple just rhythms and routines can be lost. And I really want you... I really want you to see God in all your life. It's the greatest thing. And to see others come to know God. And so just to finish, I want to ask you genuinely, do you want to be a Neil or do you want to be a Nelson? Do you want to be a Neil or do you want to be a Nelson? Neil McCauley. Has anybody seen the film Heat? Have you seen the film Heat? This could fall on very... Oh, good. We've got a few nods. Brilliant movie. One of the what just brilliant examination of modern life. A little bit violent at moments, but brilliant movie. And this guy, Neil McCauley, is the main character. He's a criminal uh, who goes around and he does bank, bank robberies in L.A. And uh, in, this, in the film, there's this key scene, which has become a very famous quote, which many people... I've had actually Christians quote this back to me. And this is what he says. This is his philosophy of life. He says, a guy once told me, don't let yourself get attached to anything you're not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner. The heat is the police presence. Now, if you're on me, he says to Vincent, who's a policeman, he says, if you're on me and you've got to move when I move, how do you expect to keep a marriage? What he's basically saying is this. Vincent becomes the epitome of somebody who will pursue their goals and their dreams and will drop anybody who stands in the way of that. And it comes to the last moment of the film, which if you haven't seen, you probably can't blame me for spoiling the ending. It it comes to the last moment of the film and Vincent has built up a relationship with this lady called Edie. And watching the film, you're thinking, oh, wow, Like finally he's found somebody who he can have like this life-giving relationship with. And, as, and she sat in a car, and he says, I've got to do one last thing. And he rose up to a hotel to sort something out. She sat in the car, and the final scene almost of the movie is him coming down the stairs, and as he's looking at the car, he sees there's a police car around the corner. The heat is around the corner, and he walks to Edie. And as she looks at him with hopeful eyes, like, here he comes. He just walks past the door and then runs. And brilliantly, I think it's Michael Mann who made the movie brilliantly, he then runs onto the symbol of dislocation, of unlimited possibility. He runs onto the runway of LAX airport. 
And that is where the final scenes of the whole movie play out. This guy who's given himself to, whatever it takes, I'm going to pursue possibility. Nothing will tie me down. And he dies alone and a failure. And what about Nelson? Nelson, a man whose options were restricted for decades in his life, imprisoned on Robin Island, sat there. What does he say? What does he do? He says, in judging our progress as individuals, we tend to concentrate on external factors, such as one's social position, influence, and popularity, wealth, and standard of education. But internal factors may be even more crucial in assessing one's development as a human being. Honesty, sincerity, simplicity, humility, pure generosity, absence of vanity, readiness to serve others. Qualities which are within easy reach of every soul are the foundation of one's spiritual life. Here's a man who chooses to embrace the limitation of possibilities. He just chose to love and be kind. There's many stuff you can find online of prison guards. His prisoners, who say he was such a kind man, he always asked them how they were. He, he was interested in their lives. He chose to serve the people around him. He wasn't desperate to escape and get somewhere else. He chose where he was to love and serve and be kind. And you see what God does with somebody like that. Really and truly, I think there's a moment, maybe as there was for the Corinthians that Paul spoke into, I think there's a moment for us now. Where Jesus says, will you give yourself to things that matter most? Will you choose not to be somebody who always keeps their options open, who always has to scroll through and find, what could I do, what could I do, what could I do? You, you choose to turn away from that. And instead you say, look, these people around me, I will love them. I will show hospitality to them. I will seek to bring God into my life right now. I'll seek God to meet with you. I'll rhythms and routines of prayer and reading the word and gathering with others. I know, God, as I gather, you will do work in me. I know, God, as I gather, you will do work through me. Do you want to be a Neil or a Nelson? Why don't we pray?